This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast. This message is called Pentecost, and our lead pastor, Jeff Yancey, is working through Acts 2, 1 to 13, as part of our Acts of the Apostles sermon series. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. This morning, we are jumping back into our series through the book of Acts, where we are looking at the story of the early church for some fresh vision and fresh inspiration as we re-engage in life together as a community of faith after having been apart for so long as a church. And this morning, we are looking at one of the most important passages in not just the book of Acts, but in the entire New Testament. It's a passage that describes for us one of the most important events in the history of the church and really in the history of the entire world. And I'm not exaggerating, by the way. This isn't preacher hyperbole, literally, because of what happened here in Acts 2 in the passage that we're looking at here this morning on the day of Pentecost, the world has never been the same as the promised Holy Spirit came, filling and empowering the apostles to be Jesus's witnesses in the world and as the church of Jesus Christ was born. In fact, it's fair to say that what we're going to be looking at here this morning in our passage in Acts 2 and the next Sunday as well as pre, uh, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, if, if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't be here at all. And the Church of Canada wouldn't exist and the church in Ottawa wouldn't exist and the gathering most certainly wouldn't exist and you and I wouldn't be a part of it as we would have never even heard about Jesus and still would be lost in our sin and shame. We are here today, gathering here together online today because of what happened on that day at Pentecost some 2,000 years ago as God moved by his Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ was born. So then if you got your Bibles with you or if you want to track along on version, where if you look underneath the events tab, you can find notes for this morning's message. I want to ask you, invite you, whatever you've got, whatever you're using, to turn with me to Acts 2, where we're looking at Acts 2, verses 1 through to 13 today, in this critically important event called Pentecost. We're starting right off in verse 1. We read this. On the day of Pentecost. Now, let me just press pause right there real quick, just five words in to our passage and ask the question, what was Pentecost? Well, in short, Pentecost or Shavuot in Hebrew, was and is a Jewish festival a day that took place 50 days after Passover. And there were two things that Jewish people commemorated or celebrated at Pentecost each and every year, with Pentecost, by, by the way, being a Greek word, a Greek term that literally just means 50th. First, at Pentecost, the Jewish people would celebrate God's provision for them through the harvest. It was an agricultural agricultural festival for them where uh, it literally acted like their thanksgiving and they would thank God for uh, the tremendous bounty that he supplied for them uh, through specifically the spring wheat harvest. But then secondly, Pentecost was also a day where the Jewish people commemorated the anniversary of the giving of the Jewish law, the Torah, 
where in Exodus 19, God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai and gave the Jewish people what would later be called the Mosaic Law or the Torah, which of course is what the entire Jewish religious system and the Old Covenant was built upon. It's built upon the Torah, the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so this is a really important festival day for the Jewish people, as not only was it their Thanksgiving, but it was kind of like the Torah's birthday or anniversary. Okay, so back to our text then. On the day of Pentecost, now 10 days after the ascension of Christ and 50 days after Passover when Jesus, our Passover lamb, was crucified. On Passover day, all the believers, Luke, the author here says, meaning probably the 120 believers that were gathered, not just the 11 or 12 apostles, 120 believers, all of them were meeting together in one place, Luke says. That place, by the way, likely being the same place, the same house, the same room, the same upper room where the disciples had the Last Supper and where Jesus appeared to his disciples several times after the resurrection and before he ascended into heaven. Now listen, verse 2, this is where it gets really interesting. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Luke, the author here, says, Suddenly, as in without warning or unexpectedly, like in a way that could have never been manufactured or faked or whatever, Suddenly, the moment that the apostles had been waiting for, and the moment that Jesus had promised to the disciples in Acts 1 verse 5, which we looked at a few weeks ago, where he said that one day, in just a few days rather, that the Holy Spirit would come and and they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, it happened. And the Holy Spirit finally came. And when it did, Luke tells us that uh, he was accompanied, the Holy Spirit was accompanied by three supernatural signs. You notice that? He talked about a sound, a sight, and a strange speech. A sound, a sight, and a strange speech. First, Luke says in verse 2 that there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, meaning likely not a literal sound or a literal windstorm, but a supernatural sound. The sound of the Holy Spirit, which was a a common metaphor, the the metaphor of wind that is used throughout scriptures to describe the Holy Spirit. There was a sound, a windstorm that filled the place where they were sitting. That's the sound that they heard. Then secondly, in verse 3, Luke says this, he says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Again, probably not literal flames or literal tongues of fire as that would have probably burned the house down and hurt some people, but a supernatural flame instead as fire is a common images throughout the scriptures for the holy and purifying presence of God. And then thirdly, in verse four, we read that everyone present Uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So here we have a sound in wind, a sight in flames and tongues of fire and a strange speech as everyone present, all the believers present were filled with the Holy Spirit and literally began speaking in foreign languages. Now, 
It's interesting to note that on Mount Sinai, when God appeared to Moses and gave the Jewish people the Torah, as again, this is what the Jewish people were celebrating on the day of Pentecost. They're celebrating the birthday, the anniversary of Torah. Do you know how God first appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai? Well, he appeared first through a sound, the sound of thunder and of wind and of the shaking of the mountain. And he appeared as well to Moses through a sight, through fire and smoke, which again represents the holy and pure presence of God. And then not only that, but he also appeared to Moses through a speech as well as God literally audibly spoke to Moses in a way that the Israelites who were far away in a distance could hear the voice of God and hear what it was that God was saying to Moses, making the parallel and the symbolism here in Acts 2, very evident with that story of the giving of the Torah, where just as God first inaugurated the Old Covenant with the Israelites, the, the people of God, by giving them the Torah, the law, the Mosaic law in the book of Exodus, so now in Acts 2, he is inaugurating the New Covenant by giving them and by giving through them us the spirit of freedom and of grace instead, where God's law would uh, be written not just in a book or on a scroll, but now in our own hearts as the promised Holy Spirit is now available to fill and to empower every believer with the life and world-changing power of God. That's what we see happening here in Acts 2 at Pentecost. But this story, the story of Pentecost, it's kind of crazy isn't it? Like imagine being there and hearing this supernatural windstorm, whatever that sounded like. And then imagine seeing these supernatural flames and tongues of fire appear somehow, Luke says, settling on each of them, which as a, a side note is actually a pretty significant comment that Luke is making here, where under the old covenant, it was believed that the presence of God actually dwelled only amongst the nation of Israel collectively. But now at Pentecost, we see the presence of God in the Holy Spirit resting on each person individually as followers of Jesus, which is a pretty big deal as it indicates that now in Christ, because of what Jesus has done for us and because the Holy Spirit has now come, the presence of God is available to each and every one of us and it's accessible through the person of Jesus. But I wonder what these flames would have looked like and what people would have thought that they were seeing as they saw these supernatural flames descend upon them. And then I imagine as well about what it would have been like to hear all these believers suddenly start speaking in other languages that they did not speak, right? Not gibberish. They weren't speaking gibberish or uh, pig Latin or something. They weren't making up a language, but they were actually speaking the very native languages of the people there in the surrounding areas. I wonder what all of that was like. Like it's, it's hard to overstate just how dramatic a moment that this was and how significant each miraculous experience of God's presence truly was. As they heard the wind of the Spirit and as they saw the purifying holy presence of God in flames and tongues of fire, and as they spoke different languages that they didn't understand and had never spoken before, it must have been crazy, to say the least. But as significant and symbolic as all three of those experiences were, as we read on in Acts 2, Luke, he doesn't say much more about the wind and the flames, but he focuses instead primarily 
on the speech and on the different languages that were spoken and the resulting impact that this had on those who heard the apostles speaking in different languages. Look at what Luke says next. We're in verses four or verses five and six, rather. He says this. He says, at the time, there were devout Jews from every nation or every surrounding nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the noise, the wind, they came running. Everyone came running, wondering what on earth is going on. And they were bewildered and confused to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, what's happening here? Well, the short version is this. The apostles and the other believers that were there with them, they were miraculously and powerfully bearing witness and testifying to the good news of Jesus which is exactly what Jesus said they would do in Acts 1 verse 8. Remember, we looked at this just a few weeks ago where Jesus said this to the apostles. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which sounds familiar, right? Think about this powerful windstorm that just occurred and the flames of and tongues of fire descending upon them. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? You will be my witnesses, Jesus says telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, which is where they were now, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which was exactly what started to happen here on the day of Pentecost as the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and miraculously began to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his saving work on the cross in languages that they didn't even speak. They, they proclaimed the gospel to every single nation represented there that day, which ultimately led to the birth of the church, which you and I are a part of today. Isn't that amazing? This is how the church started. It started with the miraculous proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what, in part, this means for us today as spirit-filled followers of Jesus, it means that one of the main signs that we are truly being led by the Spirit of God is not necessarily that we speak in tongues, as some might think and say that it means, but that we speak of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus in all that we do, that Jesus is the one who makes us right with God and forgives our sin and makes us New. This is what, in part, to be spirit-led means. It means to speak of and to bear witness to the person of Jesus in everything that we say and do. And that's exactly what we see the early church doing in a miraculous way as it is being formed here on the day of Pentecost. They are proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming Jesus to all that would hear. Isn't that something? Reading on. We see this even more clearly now as we look at verse 7 where we read this. They, the devout Jews who came running to hear what was going on, they were completely amazed. And they said, how can this, this be? These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Or in other words, they're saying these people, these Galileans, they are not educated it was assumed. They are not cultured. They do not know other languages. And for that matter, they cannot properly pronounce our throaty, guttural dialects as Galileans were known to have the habit of swallowing their syllables when speaking. 
These Galileans, they can't speak other languages, is what these devout Jews are saying. And yet, they said down in verse 11, we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about what? About the wonderful things that God has done in Christ. And then look at verse 12. And they stood there amazed and perplexed, which of course they did, because how could you not be anything but amazed and perplexed? They stood there amazed and perplexed. And then they asked this question. They said, what can this mean? They asked each other, what can this mean? It's a great question, isn't it? It's really the question. Like, what does all this mean? What does it mean for the early church, for the people in the story? And what does it mean for us here today? As well, that really is the question. Well, you know, it's really interesting. For 2,000 years, theologians have understood this event, Pentecost, to be a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel from Genesis 11. Just think about that if you know the story. Think about what happened at Babel and how after the people there in pride decided to build a tower into the heavens in an effort to make a name for themselves and to become like God, what did God do? Well, God shut them down by confusing their languages and scattering them abroad across the world. But now in Acts 2 at Pentecost, what do we see? Well, we see the language barrier being supernaturally overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation gathering together in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit under the banner of the gospel which is a picture of the multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational kingdom of God, if ever there ever was one, right? Where the curse of Babel and of racism and division and hatred and segregation and separation, and all of this is reversed. And we are all now included in Christ Jesus, all welcomed in and invited to the table because the Holy Spirit made room everybody to come. This ultimately is what Pentecost is all about. It's not about tongues and whether or not speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as some people sadly like to argue about. It's not about that. Speaking in tongues, whether we're talking about uh, speaking in an actual language like they did here in Acts 2, or speaking in an unknown language or a prayer language like the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. It's all great. It's a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives to some that he supernaturally enables some to have, but not all. And we should thank God for that gift and ask God for that gift. But it's not the point of Pentecost, even if that's what some Pentecostals are sometimes known for. And for that matter, since I've mentioned it, Pentecost is also not about how the quote-unquote baptism of the Holy Spirit works either. As some people will argue that we all need to have as Christians this dramatic experience post-conversion with the Holy Spirit or you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's not the point of this story either, though I will say for the record that biblically speaking, this is just not the case, the quote-unquote baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it happens at conversion when the Holy Spirit indwells every believer for the first 
time. It happens at conversion, not after conversion. It's not a separate event apart from salvation, but it's a part of it. It's called regeneration. When God, by his spirit, saves us, fills us with his spirit, and makes us new, inviting us then to be filled and refilled thereafter with the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day. But even that, that's not what this passage in Pentecost itself is all about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know ultimately what Pentecost is all about? Listen, it's about this. It's about the Spirit-filled proclamation of the gospel through the church, the people of God, where God by his spirit supernaturally empowers his, his people, his church, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world around it in a way that made sense to the world around it, inviting everyone, everywhere, every nation, every tribe, every tongue to access the presence of, God's, of God together and to experience the life-changing work of Jesus together. That is what Pentecost is all about. It's about the birth of the church, this multicultural, multiracial movement of God that exists to proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere that we go, in complete and total dependence on the Holy Spirit who makes it all possible. Well, our passage here this morning, it concludes with this verse in verse 13, where after we read about those who were amazed and perplexed in verse 12, we read about some who were maybe a little bit offended or at least put off by what they were seeing as the apostles spoke in these foreign languages. Look at what we read in the last verse of this passage in verse 13, where we read this. But others in the crowd, what? They ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. That's all. They're just drunk. Now, let me be a little vulnerable with you here this morning. I don't know about you, but for me, when I think back to the times in my life where I've had a little bit too much to drink, right? Particularly when I was younger and liked to party a bit too much. I'm not endorsing this, by the way, but when I think back on my own journey and my own life and the times where I had too much to drink and got drunk, I don't remember ever being able to speak Russian or whatever, all of a sudden. Like I might've thought that I could speak Russian. I might've even tried to speak Russian. I might've even tried to convince my drunk buddies that I was Russian, but there was no way, no matter how badly I wanted to, that I could speak Russian. And so obviously this criticism in our text that they're just drunk, that's all, it's ridiculous. There's just no way that these 120 people got drunk and then could suddenly speak Aramaic and Greek and Latin and whatever other 12 or 13 languages they may have spoken that day in that moment. These people in the crowd who accused them of being drunk, they were just really being dismissive and apparently ridiculing them, Luke said, as they were looking for a natural explanation for a supernatural event, as many people still do today, by the way, when God moves. And so they said, even though it didn't really make any sense, that they're just drunk. That's all. But look then at how Peter responded to that accusation. Peter, by the way, being the leader of the apostles. We're going to look next week at this passage in more details and more of what Peter said. But look just briefly at the first few sentences that he says in verses 14 and 15 in direct response to this accusation. He says, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. 
Make no mistake about it. These people are not drunk, as some of you have assumed. Nine o'clock in the morning is just too early for that, which is debatable, right? 9 a.m. doesn't stop everybody. Some of you, I'm sure, had wine for breakfast this morning. You know who you are, and I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that that's maybe the case. <laughs> but no, Peter says, we're not drunk, not necessarily because it was too early to get drunk, but because Jewish people fasted during festivals until morning services were over. And so it just wasn't possible for them to have gotten drunk by that point. Instead, Peter says in verses 16 and onward, now quoting the prophet Joel, here's what's happening, he says. The Spirit has been poured out, and these men and women, sons and daughters, they are prophesying and speaking God's word as a result. Or in other words, it's not the alcohol, it's the Spirit of God. We're not drunk, we're just filled with the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, would be a terrible line to use if you're ever pulled over for drinking and driving. Like, just don't go there. For that matter, don't drink and drive either. Just steer clear of all that stuff. But that's how Peter explains what is happening in the crowd. He's saying, no one's drunk here. But the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us and is speaking now through us. Now, as a bit of a side note, I want to be clear about something because this is something we hear about in more charismatic circles from time to time. Um, this does not mean, I want to be clear again, this does not mean when people get filled with the Holy Spirit that they act drunk or physically lose control of their bodies, even if some people may have some sort of physical response to God's presence, okay? The Apostle Paul, I think, is very clear about this in Galatians 5, where he tells us that one of the fruits or evidences of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life is what? It's self-control, right? Meaning, at least in part, that the Holy Spirit doesn't cause people to act drunk and to lose control of their bodies or to say and to do things that are completely beyond their control. And so to conclude that from this comment in Acts 2, that being, quote, drunk in the Spirit, as some people call it, is what's happening here, it's just not something we can draw from this verse. Instead, you know what we can draw from this verse? It's that when we live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, listen, people might ridicule us too. Did you know that? Have you experienced that? It's true. When we as the people of God are led by the Spirit of God, our lives are not always going to make sense to everybody else. People might not always get us or understand why it is that we do what we do. And that's okay because we're not supposed to always make sense to everybody else. We're supposed to actually be a little bit weird. We're supposed to be different, to think differently, to speak differently, to behave differently, to parent differently, to love differently, to spend our time and money differently because at the end of the day, we have the Spirit of God in us and He will always lead us to live differently. And so we shouldn't be surprised when some people make sarcastic comments about our faith or when they roll their eyes at us or even flat out make fun of us at times. It's because it's part and parcel with being a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. People might think we're weird and that's okay. In fact, a good question to ask ourselves might be this. If we're not at least a little bit weird, are we really following Jesus? Because people thought the early church was weird and they made fun of them for it. 
This is the story of the birth of the church, of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in power through a sound and a sight and a strange speech. And the good news of Jesus was proclaimed in a miraculous way to everyone who could hear it. And it makes me think about us, about our lives in our church and about what it would take for us to experience a move of God like this one. Not to be clear that Pentecost can be repeated because it can't be. It was a one-time event in history when the Holy Spirit was poured out for the first time. It can't be repeated, but listen, it can be perpetuated. Meaning that while this event, Pentecost, was a one-time deal, the impact of Pentecost is ongoing and as spirit-filled followers of Jesus, we long for a great move of God like this uh, once again, don't we? We long for God to move uh, with power in and through his church, through us in the world. And he longs to do that too. But let's be honest. You know, many of us, I think, are living in a pre-Pentecost state. Okay, not that we don't have the Spirit, because we do have the Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. But we're living like the apostles did in a pre-Pentecost state, because we're not depending as much on the power of the Spirit within us, but are depending instead on our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own talents and strategies and abilities, in church programs and ministries and church traditions and efforts. We're not dependent on the Holy Spirit and therefore are living in a pre-Pentecost state and we're maybe missing out on what God longs to do in and through us in the world. A.W. Tozer once said something that really convicted me when he said this. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, just kind of up and disappeared, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Ouch. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Isn't that just a terribly convicting thought? It certainly is for me and not just for us corporately as it relates to how we do church and how we run our church services and how I preach and how we run ministries and programs, but for us as a people in our daily lives, since that's what the church ultimately is. It is the people of God. Like, are we living in light of Pentecost in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are we living into a pre-Pentecost state instead, relying on our own wisdom and our own strength and our own abilities instead? How dependent on the Holy Spirit are we really? And are we maybe missing out on some of what God wants to do in and through us because we're living into our own abilities and strengths instead of his. This is a question that I actually think of often. Uh, how dependent am I really on the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Because if I'm honest, there are Sundays, more often than I'd like to admit, where I get up here to, to preach God's word, to preach from the Bible, and I haven't even invited the Holy Spirit to fill me and to speak through me. I've maybe barely spent any time in prayer that morning because it's, it's just been a chaotic morning, crazy morning, rushed morning getting to church. And you know what? God's faithful and he speaks through his word even when I'm faithless, even when I'm not full of prayer and all of this. And, 
and I'm grateful for that, but I, I know that's not how it's supposed to be. When I get up to preach, I want to be brimming with the Holy Spirit and let his word flow through me. It's not how I want to preach in my own strength and power. And it's not for that matter how I want to lead and make decisions in my life and for our church. It's, it's not how I want to live my life for that matter either, or how I want to parent or how I want to neighbor or how I want to love and talk and speak and connect with others. I, I wonder how dependent am I really on the Holy Spirit? How dependent are we really? How, how dependent are you? Are we living, are you living more like the church before or after Pentecost? Are you, are we missing out on the power of the Holy Spirit because we're too busy living into our own ability and strength rather than the ability and strength and power of the Holy Spirit? Guys, this is what I long for for us as a church more than anything else. I long for us to be an Acts 2 church, a diverse, spirit-filled, gospel-proclaiming, Jesus-centered community of faith that loves God and not loves our neighbors well. But it all starts with this. It starts with having a hunger and a desire for God by His Spirit to move in and through His people because we know that the Holy Spirit is the difference maker and that he can do more in five seconds than we could ever do in 50 years as we talked about a few weeks ago. And so my invitation to you and to me this morning is this. It's don't miss out on what the Spirit has in store for you. Don't miss out, but look to be filled with the Spirit daily. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and to live into his power daily because he is the difference maker. He is the difference maker in our church, in our lives, and we can do nothing apart from him. We need him desperately. Are you living into his power this morning? Are you living a life filled with the Holy Spirit? You can. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, that is our heart. That's our desire is to know you, to be filled with your spirit, to be used by you in the world to make a difference for you. God, would you make that possible for us? God, we repent. We, can, we confess of our sin and the ways that we often live into our own strengths and abilities, thinking that we can do things in our own strength and ability for you, but we know that we can't. We need your spirit. Would you come? Would you fill each person watching with your life and your love and your presence? Use us to be your spirit-filled witnesses in the world. Use us as a church to make a difference for you, for your gospel in the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with Jeff continuing on in our Acts series with a message called Spirit-Filled Preaching. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast. Mm-hmm.